Hello, a little word of warning that this podcast contains swears and use of explicit sexual language. Therefore, it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 18 or anyone who thinks that Tinder belongs on a fire. Hello all, welcome back to The Smut Drop. This is your weekly roundup to the more eccentric side of sex and relationships from metro.co.uk. I'm Miranda Kane and on this week's show we'll be having a chat to Dr Shyama Matthews about menopause and reading all the gossip that you sent me about your office parties. If you like what you hear then please rate, review or at least subscribe wherever you get your finest of podcasts. And I hope you're ready because I'm about to to dip into the Christmas stockings. Hello, 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 dear listener. Oh, what are you looking forward to the most in December? Is it putting up decorations, stocking up on the treats? Oh, 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 what jolly times we have ahead. (laughs) But don't worry, singletons, you are not alone because a third of people who were questioned recently said that they feel bad for not taking a plus one and a similar number feel self-conscious about dating over Christmas. In fact, a quarter of people aged 18 to 30 say that these questions from family over the festive periods make them feel unvalued or unworthy. No, don't let them get to you, babes. Look, these things can still happen when you're in a relationship too. You're not off the hook just because you've gotten hitched up. Well, in this week's Metro, Dr. Caroline West, Bumble's resident sex and relationship expert, has some tips on how to get through it. So let's look at the questions. What are we always faced with? Number one, number one, are you still single? (laughs) Caroline says it's best to let them know that you're intentionally dating and just waiting for the right person who lines up with your values. Oh, that's a good way of putting it, isn't it? Lines up with your values. Yeah, that'll shut them up. And that sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds much better than my suggestion of getting Tinder out and showing them what I'm up against. Do you not want children? Do you not want you? Oh, do you not want children? See, this one can be thrust upon couples. And do you know what? It's not anyone's business. (laughs) But yeah, sometimes we feel like we can't say that to our mums when they put so much effort into the gravy. So Dr. Caroline points out that this is actually a very personal matter. So you are well within your rights to change the subject and shut down the conversation. So take that. You need to be less fussy. Oh, you need to be less fussy. Oh, drop me out. See, I have this problem all the time with my family. Like, like I'm the problem because I don't want to settle down. Well, Dr. Caroline says, remind them that it's better to be happy alone than unhappy with someone else. Or as I like to put it, remind your sister that she's already had two divorces. Oh, what's wrong with you? Oh, What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? Oh, that one is a stab in the back, isn't it? So Dr. Caroline says this can often be said in jest, but it can still knock your confidence. So just reiterate that there is nothing wrong with you and there is definitely nothing wrong with being symbol. Oh my God, it is a swamp out there. Why do you think I'm obsessed with reading articles like this? I need all the help I can get. If you do too, then head over for more words of wisdom on metro.co.uk. In the meantime, let's get over this nonsense with a little chat from this week's guest. 
Ladies and gentlemen, gays and theys, this week's guest is a gynaecologist, a gynaecological surgeon and menopause practitioner in Princeton, New Jersey. While she helps people in clinic and in surgery, you might have seen her on Instagram sharing information and anion concerns over female sexual reproductive health. She's here this week to give me some guidance on what we can expect from our sex lives as we go through the mystery that is the menopause. It's Dr. Sharma. Matthews. Hello, Dr. Sharma. Hello, how are you? I am very well, thank you. And I'm so happy you're here because we do talk a lot about the menopause and uh, what we can kind of expect, but I still think it is a massive mystery to a lot of people. Do you find that? Absolutely. I think a, a majority of my patients have tons of questions about what to expect, um, questions about what is going on with their body. Many times it sneaks up on them and they're, they're sort of surprised when I suggest it might be menopause related. So I think we can absolutely um, talk about how to best prepare for that, that aspect of our lives. And what are some of the first signs? Because there's not just the menopause, there's also perimenopause. And I think I'm I'm in my early 40s and I, I think that is creeping up on me. <laughs> yeah, actually, you're, you're probably not wrong. Um, it varies from person to person. Um, the, so, so to start, by definition, menopause is actually sort of retroactively diagnosed because you have to have gone through one full year of no period bleeding to be diagnosed as in menopause. So, it, you know, while you're going through it, you don't really quite know if you've reached it yet until you've, you know, completed that one full 12 month period. Um, so all of the years prior to that, and that could be anywhere from five to seven years, can be what we call perimenopause. And that might be when some of these symptoms start setting in. Mm. Um, and that can start with simple things like irregularity of the period, shortening of the period, um, or lengthening of the period, any kind of menstrual changes. Um, and then the common things that we hear about, hot flashes, night sweats, um, mood changes, um, more tearfulness, things of that nature, sleep issues, um, slowing of the metabolism, that's a big one. So all of these, a variety of things, as well as, you know, sort of sexual um, and, you know, uh, anatomical changes that happen related to, to hormone change. At what point do we, like, have to panic? <laughs> I mean, when, when <laughs> is it best to start coming to the doctor and saying, I think this is, this is happening? Because I think a lot of women are kind of told, just put up and shut up, like this is a natural thing, but we don't have to, do I we? No, no, absolutely not. And I actually, I hear that from a lot of patients that they've been told that. Um, and I and I feel sort of sad that that is that is sort of the the company line, quote unquote. And it shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. Uh, that being said, I don't think there's any need to panic. You know, in general, I like to think that hopefully many practitioners are sort of preparing their patients as they sort of enter their early 40s about what might might be coming around the bend. But then, you know, I often may also suggest that you seek out a menopause trained specialist um, or, you know, gynecologic practitioner who, you know, doesn't necessarily even have to be the practitioner you get your annual visits and pap smears and all of that with, but someone you can sort of openly share your concerns and talk about, um, you know, menopausal sort of changes and management with. So I think there are, there's definitely resources to seek someone out that uh, is well-trained in that 
you know, vain. Which you indeed are. So let me just ask, what are some of the most common questions that people come to you with? Um, so really the biggest, I would say the biggest concerns are really surrounding those symptoms, right? So hot flashes, night sweats, difficulty sleeping, brain fog, you know, I can't quite find the word mm. anymore. I don't know where I left my keys. I sometimes feel like I'm a crazy person. Um, and then the big one, another big one is metabolism changes. And so our metabolism slows down quite a bit um, as we approach menopause. Mm. And so weight gain can be very easy um, and difficult uh, to, you know, take off sort of the things that worked previously in the past to maintain our healthy weights can be difficult as we go forward. So things of that nature um, are often the common concerns patients ask about. Um, and then sexual wellness, you know, my libido is really low. I don't have any interest anymore. Sex isn't as comfortable as it used to be or enjoyable as it used to be. Um, things of that nature as well. Let's talk about the libido because we are a sex and relationship podcast. So we're <laughs> going to get down and dirty. What are some of the first things that people can start taking control of when it comes to their libido in perimenopause or menopause? What kind of things can we do easily to help with any symptoms? So actually, I, you know, I think libido and sexual health and wellness in general, I think is it's pretty complicated for women. And I think, you know, I think the first thing is I often reassure my patients, hey, this is okay. You know, this is not an uncommon thing. You're not alone in this and there's nothing wrong with you. Um, mm. It's just a matter of how do we approach this sort of change in our lives um, to be better, you know, kind of prepared for it. Um, and the first thing is, you know, there's, so there's a whole physical aspect to it, but there's also a whole psychological aspect to it. Mm. So I, you know, I kind of delve into that a little bit too with patients just being like, hey, you know, well, you know, do you think of yourself as a sexual being or are you like, you know, running around checking the things off your checklist and worried about your career and your kids and your house and all these other kinds of things that are worries in your mind? Are you taking any time to tend to your needs and sort of feel, you know, like a sensual being, like at all? So I think that is a, you know, sort of first part of the cornerstone. Um, and when it comes to relationships and your partner, are you guys taking any time to, you know, be with each other or, you know, sort of taking a step away from sort of the day-to-day -day grind to like just sort of focus on each other and, and, and you know, share intimacies, whether it's, you know, uh, physical or not, um, however it might be, but kind of being in touch with that whole emotional side of it and psychological side of it. So I think a lot of the time, especially at that phase in one's life, there's so much else going on that that psychological piece often gets missed. Um, so I think that's a big part of it, right? So I think, you know, just even taking the time to think about those things. And also maybe just, you know, knowing that you're going through all these different changes within your body from the inside and the outside, people can start taking it very personally, can't they? Where it's like, oh, I'm putting on weight or my partner might not feel the same way about me. And absolutely. And, you know, it's yes. nice to know that you're not the only ones going through that. Right, right. And so some of it, exactly that, right? Like, so metabolism has changed, your energy levels change, your body is changing. And, you know, so maybe you don't have that same confidence you used to about your body and about your, you know, your attractiveness and things of that nature. You almost have to sort of reestablish that confidence a little bit. Um, and so I think one, knowing that you're not alone and two, kind of learning how to embrace it. How do I, you know, sort of charge that aspect of myself um, can help you know, that libido piece of it as well. And then, you know, then there's the whole physical side of things, of course. Mm. Right. So, you know, hormonally, what's going on? Our hormone levels are changing quite drastically during that pre perimenopause, 
menopause transition. It's sort of the, the you know, not only are estrogen levels dropping or progesterone and testosterone levels are a bit different, the ratios are different. And so all of those things can play on not only our um, arousability, but also physically what's going on with the, the vulvar and the vaginal tissues. Um, things uh, that people often will say that, you know, they experience a bit more dryness, vaginal dryness. Um, the tissue becomes a little bit thinner, less elastic, um, a little bit um, more sort of easily irritated. The balance is a bit off. Um, they're a bit more sensitive. So those kinds of changes as well, how do we preempt that? And there are definitely things that we can do to, you know, and make sure that it's a smooth ride. <laughs> what kind of things can people start doing? So being aware of it um, is one. And two, like, you know, really, one, I, tr you know, tell people avoid things like soaps and scents and all these other kinds of things that are supposed to make your, you know, things glow and shine and smell pretty. <laughs> it's not meant to do that. It's really, it's unnecessary. It's a very sort of self-maintained organ. Leave it alone. Let them glow and shine from the inside out. <laughs> from the inside, on its own. You know, you don't have to do anything special. <laughs> um, but, you know, but the other thing I would often say, you know, basics, right? Like, so many people kind of think about, oh, if I need to use a lubricant, then that means something is wrong. I never needed to use a lubricant in my 20s. Like, this is, this is, means something is off, something is wrong. Why would that be necessary? But it's not. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just a change. And using something like a, you know, a basic lubricant that's going to be helpful for the tissue, something that's, again, a clean product, well-made, um, not going to throw off the balance. That's really important because, like I said, the sort of balance of what we call the microbiome of the vaginal um, environment um, is becomes very easily sort of disrupted. So you want to make sure things that are, you know, sort of not, not going to disrupt that balance of sort of healthy bacteria, yeast that are meant to be there. Um, and, you know, but still provide sort of moisture and reduce friction um, so that you can, you know, sort of um, kind of aid that arousal when you're having sexual, you know, experiences. Should people be thinking about whether to use, because I've seen a couple of lubricants where they've got um, their estrogen lubricants, their testosterone lubricants. Should people be thinking about those kind of ones? Um, some of those can be helpful. I mean, um, again, it depends on where one is as far as what kind of products are available, you know, sort of easily over the counter versus prescription. Um, but I would say the lubricant, um, basically like a, a good lubricant that, again, cleanly made, that avoids any sort of, you know, sort of um, harmful um, kind of chemicals and things of that nature, but is meant to kind of improve that lubrication and, and reduce that friction. That's a good place to start. And then beyond that, hormone. Hormone is, personally, a hormone is very safe, and, and there's a lot of great data to support that, particularly locally delivered hormone to the, you know, vaginal vulvar cells, because that's very, very locally absorbed, very little systemic effect. So you can use that pretty confidently that you're not necessarily increasing any risks associated with hormone that we, you know, we all worry about. And that can be very helpful. And I do, you know, recommend patients kind of look into that. But that often I recommend is have as a conversation, you know, with your provider about if, if you're a good candidate for that, if, if that's something that would be, you know, sort of um, helpful uh, on a day to day, because that often isn't something that is a in the time of, those are usually things that you need to use more regularly in order to help with the, the balances. It's it's so weird with Lou because you get to a certain age and then it's like, all oh, right, bam, now you need it. Like I made a joke about using lube the other day and the girls in their twenties in the audience, like were positive, were so squeamish about it. And you could see their faces. It was like, love, you are going to need it. 
<laughs> well, actually, I'd even venture to say that maybe some of them could use it even now, right? Yes. Like it, it, it should, there shouldn't be such a negativity surrounding the idea of lube. And I think one of it is just the, ha- the way that lubricant has been marketed and sort of presented to us as always being sort of for the the partner's pleasure and not really for our own but it can be for both and so you know I think again it's just a matter of uh sort of it's basically to me it's a self-care product like it's something that you could use at any age at any time whether you're in menopause or not um just to aid the experience I love that think of using it as a a self-care product because you you said in the past like compare it to a moisturizer if your skin's dry then you use moisturizer so why not use lubricant if it's the same for your vagina Exactly. I don't see anything wrong with that, right? Like, I mean, you wouldn't be like, oh, if I need moisturizer, something is wrong with me. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm unhealthy in some way. That's not true. Yeah. Um, it's just something that we all potentially need. That's an excellent way of putting it. So we've got the we've got some of the physical aspects. What about when it comes to your relationship? So when do the symptoms of menopause or perimenopause, when they start impacting on a relationship when is it normal versus when should someone be concerned so I think everyone is going to probably experience I mean, most women I'll say will experience some level of impact on their relationship at some point in their lives now that might be on the earlier front or it might be on the later front but at the same time um, when is it is it a, a point at which it's, it's at any point that it's distressing to you if it's bothersome to you in any way, you know, if it's if it's troubling you in any way that you're less active or less, you know, comfortable or less aroused than you used to be. So I, I'll get someone that comes in and says, you know, and I always ask, so any issues, any sexual issues, any issues with intercourse, any pain during intercourse, anything like that. Um, and they may say some, well, I'm not very active. And you could choose to leave it at that. But many times I actually probe a little further. Well, are you not active because it's uncomfortable or is it because there's something else going on or do you just choose not to be active which is fine that's a choice but you know if it's because there's something physically going on that oh yeah well you know every time I have you know sex it hurts I I don't like how it feels it's sort of a drag because I do it for for my partner but not for myself because I don't enjoy it anymore and so there's something to talk about right so Mm. I think if that is really part of the picture then it's definitely worth having a conversation about um Ideally, it comes up organically in your conversation with your provider. But if it doesn't, you know, you should feel uh, comfortable and empowered to say something and ask questions about it. Yeah. Does it come back to just the physical things or can people feel like the it's it's lacking when it just even comes to arousal? Absolutely. I mean, that's the part of it that comes in with libido, right? So for women, it's very complicated. The The stars have to be aligned in a very particular way for us to, you know, to, to feel arousal. So again, a lot of it has to come with lowering our inhibitions. So when, if we're stressed about other things, if our minds are on other things, if we're concerned about our physical experience, if we don't feel sexual or sexy or sensual, like we're not going to feel, you know, sort of, we're not going to be more inclined to be aroused or in the mood and start that whole process. Right. And, and the thing with, with females and, and the, and the process for women, uh, that whole experience you can't just skip. <laughs> you can't just skip from one to the other. You have to go through all the all the phases. And so, in order to even initiate or or get into the mood, you have to kind of get into that groove, right? And you have to start that sort of climb from arousal to to all the way until you reach to climax. But you're it's you can't skip. Go. You have to go through all of it. 
Um, and if it comes to your relationships, you know, some of it is, you know, maybe you feel a certain way and maybe it's not true. Maybe you feel, oh, my partner's not attracted to me because my body is changing and I feel this way and that, that way about my personal experience. I don't, you know, I don't look the same in the mirror, which might not be true to your partner, right? They may still find you as, as wonderful and sexy as the first day you both met. Um, and then I still bring it back around to self-care. You know, also our bodies change. Um, the things that arouse us, the type of touch that arouses us, the places that we're aroused or what leads to um, an orgasm, all of those things can change too as we change, our bodies change. So even a little bit of self-exploration to kind of figure out what works. It might not be the same as what worked, you know, in your 20s and 30s. It might be different in your 40s and 50s. So, you know, even maybe a little bit of... of uh, some homework assignments there to figure out what works for you. Mm, that's such a good point because you never really think about how you, you think about how your body changes physically, like whether it gets smaller, bigger, shorter, taller, but you never think about, well, where does my erogenous zone change? Does my... Exactly. Ah, so a little bit of self-exploration and in with the self-care. That makes so much more sense. And also, I love like when you're talking to your partner, like, let's remember that your partner isn't as young and sexy as when you first met either. So yeah, <laughs> it's a game of two halves, isn't it? <laughs> Does it ever go the other way? Like when men have a midlife crisis, they go for the younger models, they get a sporty <laughs> car and they are away. Does it ever work for, for us? Do we ever get a chance to do that? Well, some women, yes, actually. I've spoken to some women that have said, you know what, it's the opposite for me. My sex drive is through the roof. Um, you know, I feel like I, I'm constantly sort of aroused and interested and, you know, with the things that catch their eye is, is a little bit different than it used to be. And hey, more power to you. I think that's fantastic. I, I really wish maybe maybe that should be like part of our goal is that we change what midlife yeah. is for us. And maybe we should get a sports car to and you know and and have have that sort of uh celebrated that we we're in this new sort of chapter of our lives and we can we can kind of embrace it i think part of that is is a lot of perception too right like like you like you said uh, the common you know response to women going through midlife changes or, or or and menopausal changes is we'll just put up with it it's it's sort of like you have to be sort of resigned to it as opposed to celebrating it in any way yeah yeah and it's, it's all about an education, like, as well. Like, I think I've, I read on your website where it's, you know, women talking to each other and, and being able to, to ask people who have been through it is so valuable as well. And when it comes to education, like, because America's been going through this massive change with the reversal of Roe versus Wade, do you think that's going to affect access to conversations around women's health? I do, unfortunately. I think in general, there's a lot of you know negativity and there's a lot of ripples and waves that are going to come from the changes associated with Roe v. Wade that it's beyond the immediate related to you know abortion access I think it's it's generally you're talking about limiting women's access to health and reproductive care um, and that doesn't matter if it's related to you know abortion access or not it's it's to uh, reproductive health in all phases of life. So I think, yes, to some degree, you know, it's really going to change a lot of that, unfortunately, that, that footprint. Yeah. Reproductive health doesn't finish just because your periods do. No, not at all. I mean, it's your, you know, it's, it's 
you know, sure, it doesn't have to do with, you know, getting pregnant or not getting pregnant at all anymore, but it's still, you know, women's health. It's about, it's a very particular area of medicine that, you know, really only OBGYNs deal with. Um, there are family medicine practitioners and some in, and internal medicine doctors in some areas that are well-versed in women's health care, uh, but not all areas. And those are, you know, not necessarily, you know, specific to menopause management either. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very specific and very important phase that I think, again, education is really important, not for women to seek out on their own and for there to be more resources for women to kind of, you know, be comfortable asking those questions and, and seeking out those answers and getting good answers um, is the other thing. Now, that is something that I'm always really interested in. I always find when I talk to people who've got specialist subjects, <laughs> sorry, sound like mastermind, but people who've got a specialist area, they're so enthusiastic about people asking for help. And I think that's something that we we forget as patients. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm really sorry to bother you. I'm really sorry. But actually, when I talk to people for the podcast, they're just like, no, come and talk to me. I've got a Instagram and da 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 da. Absolutely. We, we, I think we just love to talk about the topics that we ourselves are passionate about, right? And we want to spread the word and we want our patients to be educated and, and have those tools, you know, to get through the worst of it and whatever it might be. And for some reason, they, they feel like they need to downplay it because I think that's another thing that women are sort of told to perceive that, you know, that this shouldn't matter to you, yeah. that there's something, you know, that sex is not important to you. It should be sort of hidden away and it should not be um, celebrated or enjoyed or it shouldn't be something on the forefront of your mind that there is something wrong with you and that's something negative, right? Mm. If, if that you're, you're interested in it or focused on it, that's a, not only a cultural thing, but that's a society, you know, unfortunately, that's been for a long time, a society kind of norm, mm. which we really need to break free of. And I think starting with education and feeling empowered to ask those questions and whether it's talking amongst yourselves or, you know, reaching out to your professionals in your lives, like your providers or whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, listening to podcasts like yours, whatever it is, like embracing this. And just having the mindset that sex is important. If sex is important to you, then yes. then, then that's that's fine. That's nothing to be ashamed of. That's absolutely something you can go to your, your sexual health clinic or your practitioner or your doctor or your uh, OBGYN. You know, that's, that's not a problem. Absolutely. <laughs> it just annoys me. <laughs> Several thousand years of misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it is. It's a lot to unravel, right? Yeah. It's a lot to kind of get past that and, and say, oh, OK, this is not something embarrassing. I don't have to hide this. I don't have to, you know, downplay it. Or So, yeah, I agree. I think it just needs to be sort of more out in the open and that sex is healthy. It's part of our bodies. It's something we're designed to not only just do. It's not just a matter of procreation, right? It's something managed for, for our enjoyment, for our you know, stress relief for our, uh, all of it. It's, it's really a very, um, healthy aspect of our life. Yeah. Now speaking of being a healthy aspect of our life, can you give me any tips? So say there are people who are, you know, coming up to the menopause or coming up to perimenopause, or maybe just people who might be in their twenties. Have you got any tips for maintaining your sexual organs? How can people maintain a nice, strong, healthy sexual organ ready for later stages in life? So one thing I will say is that sex should never be painful. 
right? So it should mm. never, other, I mean, of course, something's like, okay, it hurt for the for very first time that I did it, of course, not a problem. But if it's consistently uncomfortable or painful, that might be something to seek, you know, more yeah. answers to what's going on there. Um, the other aspect of it is, you know, are you having, you know, any, are you struggling with any other issues? Frequent vaginal infections, frequent urinary tract infections, anything like that, then that might also be a sign of an imbalance of the pH of that environment I was talking about in the vagina. Um, so that can often, you know, potentially contribute to it. There may be medications one, you know, one might be taking. For example, you mentioned those 20-year-olds that sort of cringe when they talk about lubricant. I mean, how many 20-year-olds are potentially on birth control and birth control can absolutely change um, vaginal lubrication and, and affect vaginal lubrication and dryness and contribute to dryness, yeah. right? But so, you yeah. know, those are hormone altering medications and I'm all for them and people should be on them. But at the same time, there may be effects to your body that you, you need to counteract and prepare for. And we've been learning, like, as as your body changes, you'll need your hormones change. So it's, you know, you don't have to be on the same birth control for 20 years. You exactly. You can, you know, go to your doctor and, and try changing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's for sure, too. That's another, I mean, that's a whole other conversation that, you know, I yeah. feel very strongly yeah. that contraception <laughs> is an active management and that, you know, there's oh, there's likely a good fit for everyone. There's so many options available that it's just a matter of finding out what is the best fit for you. And it and it really is just a matter of, you know, again, having that conversation openly, not just grinning and bearing it, um, that, mm. you know, that you, you have to be on the first thing that someone selected for you. Um, and then the other big thing I often recommend related to our sexual organs is the pelvic floor. I cannot talk to you enough <laughs> about how important the pelvic floor is. Um, and, <laughs> and that is, it's basically the network of muscles and nerves that support our pelvic organs. And that includes, um, our bladder, our vagina, our rectum, um, the muscles that are sort of intertwined in that area. And that all, um, helps not only with, you know, people think pelvic floor immediately, they, they think about ur urinary leakage and, you know, the bladder dropping or uterus dropping, all those kinds of things that happen, but it can go the other way. Many women suffer actually from very tight pelvic floor issues, particularly women that have had issues with painful periods or chronic pelvic pain, endometriosis, PCOS, all these other, you know, GYN issues, um, fibromyalgia. I mean, many of those women will have the opposite issue where all the pelvic floor muscles are actually very tight um, and uh, very, can potentially even tender and painful to touch, right? And that shouldn't be the case. So there are specialists out there, pelvic floor physical therapists, who I absolutely adore. I have never met one that I didn't love um, because they are just <laughs> amazing, amazing people that just this is what they do, right? They take care of this um, and they really know how to teach us about ourselves and about this area of our body that we get so little education on. Um, and, and they really tell you how, you know, everything from your posture to the way you walk, to the way you sit, you know, to all of it, to the way you pee, everything is related to your pelvic floor, to the way you breathe. Um, it's all related to your pelvic floor. And it's amazing how much you can learn from, you know, a session with a pelvic floor physical therapist. I'm just going to say that I totally agree. I've had so many people on here who have been like, the pelvic floor is the hidden superhero of the body. Yes. Sort your pelvic floor out and that's half your battle. Half the battle. But oh, my <laughs> gosh. Yeah, I'll meet women who have gone to, you know, the urologist, the orthopedic um, specialist, the, you know, the chiropractor, everyone. And, you know, I do a pelvic exam and I was like, well, your pelvic floor is a total mess. <laughs> 
that's what that's what half your issue is. Um, and you know, no one's even mentioned it to them before, and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, well, a therapist is going to get in there and sort it all out. And they're like, ooh. <laughs> then uh, yeah, so it's um it's a, it's a really I mean it's remarkable that we, how little we we are educated about that, and, and we have so many great resources for it. And we 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 learn so much about you know loose pelvic floor, but I've never heard of anyone that you could get a pelvic floor that's too tight. I'm all. Always learning, Sharma. I'm always. This is amazing. I've been doing this for a year now, and I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, I can tell you everything you need to know about the pelvic floor. But what I couldn't tell you was that sometimes it gets too tight. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Yes, actually, many many women have it too tight. It's a lot. That's exactly. <laughs> what would be Dr. Sharma Matthews bumper sticker? What would that say for anyone out there who is worried about? entering perimenopause or menopause Ooh, the bumper sticker that's a great question i mean it could be something as simple as life doesn't end with menopause <laughs> ask more questions <laughs> <laughs> you know like it's not the end it's not like you fall off a cliff and you're not allowed to have like you know sexual thoughts anymore or, or you know have a have an interest in things or be energetic or fun or playful in any way it's, it's just not the end <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's not the end of menopause isn't the end. Ask more questions. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I would take that. I'll stick that on my car. Not a problem. Um, if people want to get more information from you, where can they find you? Um, so you can find me on Instagram, Dr. Matthews GYN, um, and also my website, drmatthewsgyn.com. Um, so those are two good areas. Uh, to reach me. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us. I found that that was so interesting. And thank you so much. And honestly, if I could have, if all my doctors were like you, Dr. Matthews, then I would be absolutely flying. Brilliant. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You're so welcome. It was wonderful talking to you. My thanks to Dr. Sharma Matthews there. Wasn't that interesting? Do you know what? I think there is so much in there for people of every age. And whether you've got a female reproductive health system or not, it's always good to know about these things because then you know what other people are going through. And I really found it really interesting when she was talking about self-exploration and carrying that on throughout your life because yeah whatever turns you on in your in your 20s won't necessarily be the same in your 50s and there is <laughs> take a day out like have a bit of fun and figure out what is going on down there and what is going on throughout your body and what will turn you on there are so many people out there and also take a look at the people around you, people who have been through it, who know about it. Just don't be afraid to ask questions. Like she said, menopause isn't the end. Ask more questions. Right. Speaking of questionable intents, let's go and take a look in the fun bags. As it's the season to be a little bit too jolly, I'm asking for all your office party gossip. Has there been any sexy shenanigans in sales? Has someone had a handful in HR? What about some festive figging in finance? (laughs) If you don't know what figging is, you'll have to Google it. Okay, so a lot of these... uh, 
surprise, surprise, have come in from anonymous people. So this one, first of all, slid into my DMs on Twitter. (laughs) And she just says, we're not allowed to have an office party this year, probably because one of the HL girls had a baby in August and the CEO got a divorce soon after. (laughs) Now, that took me a little while to get until I did the maths. (laughs) So a little August baby, think about it. Yeah, maybe a little Christmas time shenanigans with the CEO. Good luck to them. Uh, Jake, by email, he said, one year we had a very dismal party in our office because the company were too cheap to hire out anywhere. We had it on a Friday night and something must have been flushed down the toilets that shouldn't have been because by Monday there was what can only be called a tsunami of shit (laughs) flowing from the gents. The carpet had to be replaced and this was before working from home was even a thing. So we had to hire a temporary office to put us all in. There you go. You see, you pay cheap and you pay twice. (laughs) He just signs off with this year we're going to TGIs. That's very sensible. Very sensible. Um, This one slid into my DMs on Instagram. At one particularly depressing office job, I gave a festive (laughs) blowjob. Now, what is a festive blowjob? And I just love the dip we get a one particularly depressing office job. Was it depressing because you gave a festive blowjob? I'll keep reading. I gave a festive blowjob to our head of sales. All went well until he said he wanted me to bite his dick. <laughs> Is this why the job was so depressing? He said <laughs> he just kept saying, chomp it, chomp it. <laughs> I haven't been able to look at a chomp since without remembering it. I don't blame you. Oh, my God. We've all been cursed. Have we all been cursed? It's like the ring. I've had to read chomp it, chomp it, thinking about a dick in my mouth. Now you can too. Anyway, please keep them coming. I want your office party dilemmas. Do you need advice on how to handle hookup anxiety? Let Auntie Miranda help you out. You can slide into my DMs. Just look out for Miranda Kane on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram or email smutdrop at metro.co.uk. I've been Miranda Kane. Smutdrop was produced by Pineapple Audio Production for metro.co.uk. If you're enjoying these weekly droppings of smut nuggets, please leave me a nice review. In the meantime, I'll be back to prick up your ears next week. And remember, don't do anything I wouldn't do. But if you do, name it after me. I'm ahead of the game.